This is the Seahawkers podcast, episode 310. I'm Brandon Schultz of the Military Seahawkers, and joining me, my good buddy and Montana Seahawker, Adam Emmert. See, man, my procrastination sometimes pays off. By doing this on Wednesday, we actually have some positive news, or potentially positive news, to uh, lead the show with, then maybe, you know, that stupid, stupid, stupid loss that we suffered on Sunday Night Football for, like, literally no reason. Yeah, that uh, is almost exactly how I feel about Sunday. It was a stupid loss. It was one that I was not excited about getting on here and talking about. We're still going to talk about it because I think there are some things to say a, a few days out. But the big news on Wednesday is that the Seahawks went out and actually got some pass rush help. You know, we heard all offseason that pass rush was an issue. It was something that they were going to address. Yeah, they kind of did by getting Bruce Irvin, although he is a linebacker, getting Benson Mayoa, uh, re-signing Jaron Reed. Not what Seahawks fans were expecting. And then we even waited around to the point where Jadevian Clowney was still out there and hadn't signed with the team. And we were laying all our hopes on that one move at the end of the offseason. Well, the Seahawks, they go out now and they trade free agent acquisition B.J. Finney, who had only seen snaps on field goal attempts and extra point attempts. And now they send Finney and a seventh round pick to the Cincinnati Bengals for defensive end Carlos Dunlap. Yeah, so they make the trade and honestly, for what they gave up, like, cool. It's nice to bring in a dude. Uh, He's a dude that's going to play versus a dude that hasn't been playing. Exactly. And the thing is, is, okay, how excited do we get about this? Like, is this is this a premier pass rusher in his prime at this point? No, I mean, to me, as I've I've, kind of thought through this a little bit. This is more or less bringing in another Bruce Irvin. I mean, he's had like seven, eight, nine sacks the last two years. Right. Same as Bruce. I mean, this isn't a guy who's uh, at this point in his career, a major disruptor in the pass game. No, I, I do like the way that he defends the run. I, I feel like he's more clowny esque that way mm-hmm. and with a little better size than Bruce. But is this going to be the thing that fixes the Seahawks defense? I, I don't think it's even close. It's a thing that will help. And oh, it certainly will help. It's a, yeah. it's definitely a depth piece. I don't know if you're going to be able to go out. Well, definitely for the compensation that they gave up, you're not going to be able to go out and, and get a guy who fits what you're talking about, a super difference maker in the passing game. That guy's not out there for that compensation. No, not at all. And I'm not sure that there was a guy that has that sort of pass rushing ability that was available on the market at all. Doesn't matter how much you'd have to give up, right? Right. So... You know, as far as is this the best John could do? Maybe, you know, I I guess I wouldn't have been sad if he would have given up the seventh for Dunlap and then, you know, a sixth for Everson Griffin as well. You know, but get them both. Get them both. I mean, that that's kind of the feeling I think that Seahawks fans have had as a whole regarding the defensive line since six months ago, seven months ago. It's not just one piece. There's multiple pieces. And Mayoa was part of that. And Irvin was part of that, but that that wasn't going to be enough. That wasn't going to be enough. And we saw what they did with the offensive line, right? They just found a bunch of dudes that could probably play, but we'll find out which ones actually can going through the offseason and that sort of thing. And I got to say, that's worked out pretty damn well. I think all of us have been hoping that they would do the same thing on the defensive line. And yet it's not even close to that. Like, okay, cool. You brought in. 
you know, an aging Bruce Irvin who gets hurt immediately. Benson Mayoa, who's been a role player forever. Neat. Okay. How about three, four, five other dudes? And so we make a trade. We bring in Dunlap. Um, cool. Uh, I, I'm, I'm glad he's here. It, it certainly can't hurt. I mean, maybe that's enough to where you pair Dunlap with Adam's return. Uh, in you know, kind of green coming back as well, and maybe that does in aggregate add up to a little bit better. Yeah, and if you look at Dunlap's projection to this point of the season, I mean, Bengals fans. Well, one, it, it sounds like Dunlap was not happy in Cincinnati after his he he went to Cincinnati in 2010. He's a long term veteran with the team, so. It was a little bit surprising to me, and I talked to Anthony Casenza of the Cincy Jungle, and he said he was one or two sacks away from having the all-time franchise record for sacks in Cincinnati. And so for him to leave just short of eclipsing that number, it's a little bit surprising because just a guy like that who's been with the team so long, he said he was a guy who did things in the community, but his production had started to slip going back to last season. And I know Seahawks fans looking at the box score, they'll see nine sacks for Dunlap last season. And what Anthony said, a majority of those sacks came in games against bad teams where he was getting multiple sacks in uh, against teams that just weren't all that great. And so really the production that they'd seen, the, the steady production that they'd seen in the previous seven to eight years really started to slip starting last year and now into this year. And it was the goal of the Bengals defensive coordinator to kind of use him as more of a rotation piece with, with hopes that that would increase his overall production this season. Sounds like he was unhappy with the the lack of playing time. And that's what helped make him available for the Seahawks. And that makes some sense in terms of him getting a little longer in the tooth and a new regime there in Cincinnati and maybe wanting to take a look at some of their younger players and you know, see if there's guys there moving forward. As far as him being moved before he got this franchise record for sacks, I mean, congratulations on a franchise record for the Cincinnati freaking Bengals. <laughs> like, I don't know that anybody cares about that. I could, you know, when I you, when you it put was. it that way, Adam, I can see why that wouldn't be that important to him. Yeah, I, I just, I can't see that as being a motivating factor to stay at that dumpster fire of an organization. But you're absolutely right regarding his sacks. You know, I look just, quickly at you know highlights from last year and really just like you said it was all against the jets of the world right well the good news is is that seattle's schedule going forward is chock full of those teams <laughs> right. i mean shoot they had one last sunday and dunlap could have been a difference maker in that there's no doubt about it well one difference maker that that uh would be helpful for him He's led the league in batted passes along with J.J. Watt with 54 over the last however many years. That would help a lot against a 5'9 quarterback. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things that would help against a 5'9 quarterback that can really only hit dink and dunk freaking throws all freaking game. And uh, we'll get more into that. But um, really, this idea that Dunlap is in, you know, Adams comes back. Maybe this kind of jump starts the defense just maybe a little Darryl bit. Maybe Taylor's coming back. Maybe Daryl Taylor. I, I don't know that it matters. Hmm. I don't know that it matters because I honestly, after rewatching the Cardinals game earlier this morning, I, I just, this feels like a coaching problem. Yes. And I know a lot of people point at Ken Norton. Mm -hmm. It's not Ken. But I don't, it's not Ken. No. It's Pete. 
Yeah. And we'll, we can get more into that when we cover the game, but there were some things that stood out that you were just like, wow, we've been doing this for 10 years and it's frustrating. Well, let's get there. But before we get there, we have an important tradition on this show. And that is when the Seahawks take a loss. We know that it's not the fault of our team, although we're, we're probably going to get into some of the reasons why it could be mm-hmm. at some fault of the team. But, you know, as fans, we need to take ownership of the loss ourselves. And so Amy and Squim was the first one to come in and say that she has to take the blame for this one. She says, I didn't want to put a fire on because the blower is loud and it would make it hard to hear the game. I got cold in the fourth quarter and put on my Seahawks parka. Then we really started sucking. I should have taken it off. I will never again put it on during the game. (laughs) Hey, I hear you, Amy. Uh, I appreciate you coming in and taking at least a portion of the loss here. I think I have to personally take a portion of this loss as well. I watched the first half at the cabin and that's the first time I've watched at the cabin. And, you know, honestly, the first half for the most part went pretty well. That was great. Yeah, that was great. That was great. And you know, and then the the lady asked me to come down and, and visit her at work at the bar she's working at, and uh, so I came down there and watched the second half there, oh, and it all catfish imploded. <laughs> so I can't watch the game at the bar anymore. I know that now. You know that now. See, you were worried that this was going to be a game where you wouldn't that if they lost, you wouldn't be able to watch at the cabin, but right. you split it up, and now you probably are the reason why they lost. It feels that way on the inside, and. Yeah, I can definitely say that you could blame it on her for asking you to come down there. Well, I had to give her a ride back at the end of her shift. So I needed to go down there either way. Uh So I figured, well, screw it. I'll go down there at half. You know, things are going good. I can, you know, talk some smack while I'm there. It'll be great. And I immediately got roped into like a weird conversation with like a close talker that had no idea that I'm trying to watch the game, like having to like look over his shoulder at the beginning of every snap just to kind of catch the play. (laughs) It was awesome. Uh, I've really enjoyed my time there. (laughs) Well, another one here from the armchair philosopher at soul rock on Twitter says, I want to apologize for the last night. I knew full well, whenever I cook during the game, we leave with an L. As soon as I tasted that delicious tender pot roast, I knew we were in for a bad night. I've learned my lesson and nothing but Taco Bell from now on. That's right. There's only one person who cooks on game day. That's right. <laughs> you should know better. Yeah. We had a couple of people too say that they uh, they don't own wolf gray jerseys and their tradition is to always wear the jersey mm. of the team. And Hong Kong Honk was one of those guys. So they screwed that up. So, yep. Yep. Well, that's yeah. again. I don't know exactly the percentage of blame there, but there's clearly blame there's to be clearly had there. Blame to be yeah. passed around. And I am just. I'm happy that our Seahawks fan base and our members mm-hmm. of the flock can take accountability and own up to their mistakes. It's the only way you keep your hawker clean, man. <laughs> you got to take accountability for your mistakes. Well, Chad came in, one of our members of the flock, and I think he's picking up on the theme of this show defensively. He says, my thoughts, the defense is playing scared. Arizona's defense showed at the end what it's like to play with no fear. They were the aggressive team in the end, and look what it got them. They're not any more talented than our defense. It just appears to be a mindset at this point. Come on, D. I don't like being all negative like this. Go Hawks from Chad. Hey, go Hawks, Chad. Look, he kind of took a lot of the words right out of my mouth. Now, it wasn't that they played scared all game. I mean, they really did, I think, do a decent job throughout the course of the game. You know, shutting down those little bubble screens, spying on Kyler pretty well. 
kind of keeping everything in front of them. They gave up the one to Hopkins. Okay, we talked about it before the this last game that you're going to give up one. Yeah, to Hopkins. They got and one. he got his one. And they had you to know. do they had to do a trickeration play to do it, where they're all looking yeah. over to the sideline. Oh, what's that over there? And then they snap Ooh, the ball. And we're and, a stupid college team. We can't just make our own calls. We all got to stand up and look at Pretty Boy Cliff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When the, he stole that from another college team, and Dunbar still almost made the play. It was just a great throw and catch. It wasn't anything fancy that they did in that particular situation, other than maybe not having much of a rush on Kyler to to let loose on that throw. Yeah, well, when you're looking at other dudes looking at other dudes, like it's hard to actually generate a pass rush, right? Um, my problem with the defense, and when I really went back and looked at this, and, and there's a lot of places we can place some blame. I mean, Russ with two picks that were just atrocious, uh, you know, and a third one in there as well. Whether that's uh, penalties at some really, really poorly timed uh, situations. But to me, the problem was the defense when Arizona had the ball at the end of the second quarter with 50 some seconds at the end of the fourth quarter with 50 some seconds and the end of overtime with 50 catfish some seconds. Okay. And Seattle has been doing this since the Russell Wilson era. Basically what they do is they're so afraid to get beat over the top on the big catfish play. Right. That everybody plays the soft zone and they give up seven yard pass after seven yard pass after seven yard pass and a heartbeat when they have a couple timeouts left. And lo and behold, somehow they make it right into field goal range. Just remember back uh, 2012. Our season ended that way. Yeah. With Pete playing like that. And just as Chad pointed out in his email, dude, the difference was night and day between what Vance Joseph was dialing up what Pete Carroll and company were dialing up. I mean, the edge pressure again and again and again, corner blitz, safety blitz, you know, stunts, things like that in the biggest moment, right? Heat him up. And it was, it made all the difference for them. And so they play this soft zone. They give up these seven yard completions again and again, and again, that are sure fire completions. Like there's, they have to really screw up to, you know, not make that completion, right? And right. they walk down the field in contrast, just like I was saying about with Vance Joseph, right? And if Seattle heats up Kyler Murray there, he might make a mistake. Maybe you get one sack for the two runs. And I get why you're playing soft zone and a lot of zone against Kyler Murray to start with. It's because you want all your defensive players looking towards Kyler so that they can defend against the scramble because he is deadly with his legs. Let's not lie. Yeah. But the philosophy this prevent and it's an ultra prevent it's so weak and they just they don't take any risks and yeah it's not prevent defense in the in the prevent sense to where you know they everybody's playing back but it's it's a prevent style in that you're preventing the the big play deep and the problem is when you're playing horizontal offenses like the arizona cardinals yeah you might get a deep play here and there but by being more aggressive, you're going to limit those those short plays. So, and that's the other thing is with this style of offense is that okay. So let's say you give up a big play and you allow the Cardinals to have a three minute drive instead of an eight minute drive. They were killing the Seahawks with these eight minute drives and the defense being on the field. And with that style of defense, you're allowing that to happen. So 
I would have much rather seen them if they were going to drive down the length of the field. Okay, do it in three plays. Get the offense back on the field. Let Russell Wilson start handing off the ball and ripping through clock and driving down the field. Give the defense a chance to rest for one of these drives in the second half. Preach, Brandon. Like, you're 100% right. And the thing is, too, you, I, I get it. You want to play zone because of Kyler Murray scrambling? Fine. Play a press zone. Yeah. Get up close. <laughs> right. You, you know, have buzz defenders, right, that are out in the flats and, and, you know, <laughs> covering the middle of the field. I mean, he threw it to Fitz on that last drive in regulation two times right down the middle of the freaking field. Yeah. For like, and Bobby was playing like 20 yards deep. What are we doing? And to prove the point that you're a million percent right on this is the drive that they ended up, uh, Mayo ended up with the penalty on the field goal, right? Mm -hmm. They had stopped him on that drive to hold him to a field goal. The first two plays, they played that bail press, you know, the, the bail zone technique, right? And Kyler missed one or whatever it was, but they get the third and two. And they actually played press man coverage. It sent somebody after him. You know what Kyler did? He panicked and he chucked it deep into the end zone, incomplete. <laughs> right. And then they had to kick or uh, attempt to kick a field goal. And then boneheaded Benson, like, decides that he, you know, yeah, is third and 12. And yeah, if he just goes offsides, if he just goes offsides, they make the field goal and it would have been fourth and seven in that point instead of fourth and 12. Then, yeah, they just take the points. But he has to push down on the backs of the offensive linemen, causing the 15 yard penalty, which gives him an automatic first down. That was such a huge penalty. And I know the the Bobby Wagner call was huge, too, and that it was, you know, came at a bad time when they had gotten a stop. Bobby Wagner getting called for unnecessary roughness. That wasn't as critical as and self-inflicted as the Benson Mayoa penalty. That and the Brandon Shell penalty uh, in overtime. Towards the, in overtime. So, you know, let's talk and about then Benson the David for Moore holding call, which. David Moore doesn't need to be holding Why? on the DK Metcalf touchdown. Why? Maybe maybe DK doesn't get all the way into the end zone because of the hold, but maybe he's able to shed off the dude and get that first down and keep that drive alive or even get close to where you can go for it on fourth down. Yeah, he was getting the first down if David Moore doesn't hold. There's no doubt about that. But let's talk about Benson again here just real quick and why that's such a stupid, stupid penalty by him. Look, I get it if... Let's say the situation is you're on the road in a playoff game in Minnesota and nobody scored and they have the ball on the 25 and they're about to kick a game winning field goal yeah. to send you home for your season field goal to end the game. Take all the risks necessary to try to try to eke out a block there. Not you know, when you're up by 10 points and you're about to get the ball back, if they get the field goal there and then the Seahawks get the ball, they're able to run some clock. Then you're making the Cardinals drive the entire length of the field with however much time is left on the clock and probably no timeouts. Let's say it was in the 52nd range again. Yeah. Because that's how it was at the end of every uh, you know, yeah. second, fourth, against and overtime. Dallas, against the Patriots. Right. It's a lot harder to score a touchdown in that time frame. They barely got the field goal off. Yeah. So, like, yeah, just right there in just a lack of situational awareness. And that's. What really pissed me off about this game was just in situational football moments, playing that soft zone, that penalty, the WAGS penalty, whatever, that's being aggressive. But boy, then you get to overtime and what the Catfish. was that? I mean, Gino comes out and he does his job. 
Yeah. He wins the coin toss like he always does. Yeah. I don't know. Would you, in that situation, would you almost rather give the ball to the Cardinals? No. No? Okay. No, absolutely not. Like, I had to ask the question. Our defense can't, like, you know, cover anything. Like, we're, we're, we're terrible. Yeah. Like we are literally the worst in the league. Well, and when the Cardinals got the field goal descended into overtime, you're just like, okay, this is how the Seahawks are going to win this time. Yeah, I was like, okay, well, if we win the coin toss, we win this game. If we lose the coin toss, we lose this game. Somehow I was wrong on that. But even just before overtime, right? Seahawks last possession, they get a first down, right? And all they need is two freaking first downs on that drive. And then they go Carlos Hyde, right? Carlos Hyde, right? Carlos Hyde, right? And they get stuffed. What? What is that? that? Again, that's in that uber conservative mentality. Like yeah. you didn't throw the ball once in that sequence, not once. You know, you ran, you ran Russell Wilson uh, on uh, for nine yards on the first down, and that took them to the two minute warning. They were able to get the first Hyde with Carlos Hyde up the middle for three yards right after the two minute warning, and then that's when they started burning the Cardinals' timeouts. And yeah, run on first down there makes a ton of sense. Run on second down. That was a successful run for seven yards. Got him into the third and two spot. But yeah, running the same play there again. And then I don't know if you saw the article up on field goals where uh, Damian Lewis went to block to the left rather than block to the right while everybody else on the offensive line was moving to the right, which opened up the hole for the linebacker to, to tackle Carlos Hyde in that situation. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. That means there were two rookies in overtime whose piss poor blocking helped uh, lose us this yeah. game. Well, that was the, that was the end of the. We're still on that last Seahawks drive of the fourth quarter, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So I I understand the criticism of in that third and two, you put the ball in the hands of Russell Wilson, and yes, if he decides to run it, then fine. If he sees an open pass or Greg Olson or whatever, then you you let Russell Wilson. That's part of the let Russ cook thing, right? Well, what is Russell Wilson's completion percentage in this game? Against the Cardinals, he was completing 66% of his passes yeah. on the game, right? So if your whole thing is, oh, we want to run the ball to actually run out the clock, blah, 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 right? I get that. But when Russell drops back the pass and he unleashes it, there's a two-thirds chance <laughs> that it's going to be a completion yeah. and you're still going to run the clock. And... It, he's clearly your best player. I, I don't understand why. Look, I get running it on first down in the, uh, you know, that sequence of that three plays there, the final three plays of that drive. But then how, how is Russ not throwing it on second down, on second and long? I think at that point on second and long, the Cardinals still had their third timeout. So they wanted to make sure the Cardinals had no timeouts if they got the ball back. Odds are Russ is completing the pass. (laughs) Odds are. Yeah. yeah. Like, are you betting on him or not? Give him two chances to get the first down even at second and nine. And the odds are is he's completing the first down and winning the game. But they seem to be committed to making the Cardinals use up their timeouts. It was a minute 42 when they used their last timeout. And so by running it, they got 40 seconds. And yeah, you hope Carlos Hyde can get that third and two after being fairly successful toward the end of the game. But yeah, put it in Russ's hands. Hey, yeah, here's the I here's an idea. When your starting running back isn't in the game, <laughs> right? Maybe don't put it in his hands. Yeah. Do you want your backup running back 
trying to close out this game are Russell freaking Carrington Wilson. He's got two middle names now. Because he's that good. But Russ isn't uh, totally not to blame in this. He's not blame free. No. I mean, those picks were crap. That, I mean, I, except for the last one, the last one I understand the most. Oh, really? Yes. The, fir- the first one where Buda Baker jumped in front of it was probably the, the laziest pass of them. The second yep. one I kind of understand because he was trying to throw a deep ball to DK. And when he let it go, DK moved up because he thought that Russ might try and throw it short rather than throwing deep. And so they just were off on thinking what oh, each other was going to do. Oh, is that what happened do. there? It, it it just looked like to me that he just had an uncorker. No, he thought that he saw DK going toward the end zone. And so as soon as Russ uncorked it, DK actually came up and thinking oh. that Russ was going to throw it sh- shorter and give him a, a, a better chance. But yeah, Russ had it in mind to throw a jump ball. Yeah. The third one, they'd been heating him up, heating him up, heating him up. He had to you know throw hot. But and Arizona almost always backs out in those third and longs. Oh, on that's the, on okay. The it didn't matter if they backed out. If Tyler sits down, that's a completion. Yeah, but he just keeps Tyler running. Didn't like even they look just, like he knew it was coming, though. No, they read it totally different. Yeah, they read it totally different. And he thought Tyler was going to sit, and he kept going. And I mean, that's why you heat up the quarterback in big, big time situations. Yeah, it was frustrating to see him struggle that way. But then again. We're not even close to in that game if it's not for Russell Wilson. I mean, his first half was magnificent. They they slowed him down a little bit in the second half, but you know, I I really thought going into overtime that would be it. But then you get that first drive in overtime that ends with a, I believe it's a first down play that Hyde loses six on. <laughs> right. That was and, uh, that was the after they picked up the first down to David Moore. Uh, yeah. Then yeah, they they're about at midfield and Hyde loses six. Yeah, I have a question about this, Brandon. This is a legitimate question that I'm not sure that I know the answer to, but I think I'm right on this. So Carlos Hyde takes the handoff, right? And he sweeps out right. It, guys aren't on him immediately, but there's nowhere for him to go, right? They're, they're bearing down like they're coming at him. Right. Why can't he just throw the ball away? He's outside of the tackles. There's there's a couple reasons why. I mean, you could throw it away, but then you you risk taking an ineligible receiver downfield penalty because on run blocking, you're going to have dudes who are linemen blocking over. Is that a five or a 10 yard penalty? I think it's a five. And wouldn't you rather have it be first and 15 rather than second and 16? Exactly. (laughs) There's not a lot of downside there. So even if you, you know, do get that called, whatever, I mean, you're outside of the pocket. You're not going to get intentional grounding. Right. Just throw it away. I don't understand why this isn't something that's coached. Well, you're asking a running back who doesn't throw the ball often to try and throw it when the, he has dudes running at him. And I think probably what you would see in that situation is a defensive back knocking his elbow and making and probably causing a fumble. Catfish! He had plenty of time. Like, I could do that. <laughs> I can throw the ball seven yards out of bounds yeah. really high. Yeah, I don't know. I can do that. I don't know. I, I haven't clocked Carlos Hyde uh, his release, his, speed? Re- his release time yet. So I, I don't know how quick Carlos Hyde is with his release. Yeah, but that was frustrating. I like there is he's out there doing his little tap dance. I'm like, just throw it. <laughs> like I really wanted him to, but he, he didn't listen. I know. Um, and then was it the next play that was uh shells penalty 
the so the next play, no, they actually he threw it over the middle to DJ Dallas and picked up ten yards. So they had third and six right. when third and six. Shell did the false start for five yards. Yep, drive over. And the drive was over. Well, uh, he Russell was sacked uh, on third and eleven, which yeah. Because third and freaking eleven, and they're gonna heat you up, and like because they actually play aggressive defense, and it's an obvious passing situation. So, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, and then and, and I think Carlos Hyde actually was the guy who gave up that sack too. Yeah, I, it might have been Hyde in for that one. I know the other one where you're talking who, about did, a rookie block. Did Reddick have the Reddick have the sack on that play? Forty eight. No, that was uh, Byron Murphy's sack. But you had, but you were talking earlier about having rookies in that can't block. Yeah, and it was in overtime. It was the second and ten when the Seahawks had it right about at midfield, and DJ Dallas just whiffed on the dude coming up the middle. Had a free shot on Russell. Fortunately, Russell was able to get the pass off, uh, and it went incomplete. But he got blowed up pretty good. He whiffed the play before that, too. Like, he didn't totally whiff. He got his hands on him, but he gave up the pressure. That was the now, one where he threw it. Uh, he lofted it up for DK, and it was just yeah. kind of beyond him, right? Why in the good God? How is it not Travis Homer? Travis Homer was hurt. Oh, he was hurt at that point? Yeah, remember the hit on... No, I, I watched it in the condensed version. Oh, so right. I, okay. Well, yeah. Buddha laid a hit on him earlier in the game, and... Oh, was that the big hit on Homer? It wasn't. Yeah, that was the big hit on Homer. Oh, but I didn't I realize it was it. a knee contusion that that Homer had too. So I don't know if it was a, that same hit or if it was another hit. But yeah, Homer was out by that point. Okay, that actually clears up a lot. So I'm like, <laughs> why in the good God is DJ DJ Dallas? That's a hard one for me to say. Yeah, you yeah. end up doing DJ and then mixing the Dallas. D and the J for Dallas. Yeah. No. Why is Dallas out there? I'm not a fan. No. I, I just, I'm just i not a fan to this point. He may turn into something later on, but right now, no, he's not ready. I almost missed Penny. He could be back soon. Might but, be getting a few guys back soon, hopefully. Yeah. But hey, the football gods, they gave that game to the more aggressive team when it all is said and done. Yeah. There, there was no way they should have lost that game. They, I, I don't know if you had the feeling, Brandon, watching it, but like, it was clear to me that the Seahawks are the better team. Oh, like the entire game. When Russell Wilson lofted that pass to Tyler Lockett in the back of the end zone, and he comes down with it, another amazing grab with his feet, you know, just barely inside the end zone line. That was a fourth and two play. And they go up 34 to 24 at that point with six minutes, 45 seconds and a 10 point lead. Yep. Teams don't lose very often with nope. a 10-point lead going into the final six and a half minutes. Nope. That was a stupid, stupid, stupid loss, man. And it could be something that comes back to haunt us later. I hope not. But um, I hope they learn their lesson, too, about playing so cowardly on defense yeah. at the end of quarters and halves, you know? Like, I just... Especially when it's an offense like the Cardinals where they yes. don't throw deep a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's really frustrating. Kevin comes in with an email, says, I know everyone is going to say this, but wow. DK stands for don't know how to fail Metcalf. He just proved how much he wants to win. Talk about making up for the fumble against Dallas. I'm calling it now. There's no quitting this guy who has proved he is a class act. 
reminiscent of Steve Largent laying the hurt and causing a fumble against Mike Harden. Pumped to be a flocker this year from Kevin. Hey, Kevin. Look, I, uh, I'm really hoping that you have the Rabel call for this. First and goal. Russell takes a shotgun snap. Carson. Oh, no. It's picked off. Going the other way. Is Buda Baker down the near sidelines? Nobody's going to catch him unless Metcalf can. He is sprinting. He is running. He dives and he catches him. DK Metcalf catches Buda Baker on a little dump pass into the right flat. Russell never saw him and he steals the ball away. I hadn't heard it before in. I'm honestly a little disappointed. I, I kind of <laughs> hope that there was like some analogy like with Optimus Prime's uh, meme that he came up with of the of the biker being uh, Buddha Baker and like a grizzly bear uh-huh. being DK Metcalf chasing him. Like I wanted something like that because, man, he well, it cut it off I, before it got to Wyman. So I'm, I'm now I'm wondering if maybe Wyman had something good to say in the in the Seahawks. They they left us without that bit of it up on the website. Yeah. But how weird is it that? That might be the biggest highlight of the game, just in terms of what had people talking after the game. Well, that is that's an all timer. I mean, yeah, you you had Buddha Baker, who was a track athlete in, right. in school. So he's not a slow dude. And it's funny hearing some of the mic'd up stuff afterward. Buddha on the sidelines saying, how did he catch me? Like, yeah, he's he knew he was running fast. He was not letting up. And yet he was still brought down by DK Metcalf. Well, not only that, but I think that was such an amazing visual in terms of we all know Buda Baker's fast. He's a safety and all that. Right. And you see DK hunting him down and you see just the stark difference in size. Oh, yeah. Between those two guys pounds on him and watching DK being such a bigger man, like outrun him, like literally just hawk him down. It was it's like yeah. that scene in Major League where Willie Mays Hayes wakes up in his bed and they're running the 40s and you got the yeah. two guys who are who are running the 40-yard dash who had, I don't know, like a 10-yard start and, and Willie Mays Hayes comes running from between them and still beats him by 10 yards. Right. It's like yeah. that. Like that, only it's by an orc <laughs> that's like hunting you down. Like he had to, I promise you, he had to change his underwear after that play. Buda Baker. <laughs> Buda Baker. I mean, wouldn't that scare the holy catfish out of you to turn around and see that human being, DK Metcalf, <laughs> at that speed and size, just cut? And you know, he's only got one focus, and that's to get your ass. <laughs> right. That would scare me to death. Oh, it bums me out so much that that play did not come in a win. Oh, I know. Because that's one I of know. those plays where you could say that it really, the game hinged on that. Yeah. And because this, the defense did come up huge. After stopping him on what was, what, the six-yard line, Mm -hmm. Cardinals decide to go for it on fourth and two, fourth and three. Jordan Brooks has the big play on third down, and yeah, they they put him away with no points. And then Russell Wilson drove the entire length of the field and got the touchdown after that. Huge swing in the game. And look, as much as we want to kill the defense, I mean, they did some things throughout the game, right? It just was those ending few seconds. Yeah. That just oh, that got KJ him. play the KJ right screenplay where they had the three dudes stacked up yeah. on the right side and KJ just goes boop around both of them and tackles yeah. DeAndre Hopkins for the loss. That was one of my favorite plays of the game. That's great. Uh, uh, Quentin Dunbar had a play similar on the other side of the field earlier in the game, too. It was against one dude instead of two. Right. But I mean, he still had excellent recognition. You saw they stopped running those bubble screens after that. Yeah. That was gone. That was well, out that of play. And that was the one where Puna Ford knocked it out of DeAndre Hopkins hands and the Seahawks got the turnover there. 
there you go. So, I mean, there is a, there's a lot of things that they did well coaching wise that you could tell they're prepared for this rinky dink freaking offense and then just played scared. But we talked about DK and obviously he wasn't super involved in the passing game. They were probably concentrating on him pretty well. I I'd have to go back and look at the all 22 on him almost the whole game. Yeah. Except. And the weird thing was, is that when Peterson was lined up on Tyler Lockett, those are some of Lockett's best plays. That very first play of the game, Adam, where yeah. Russell Wilson goes deep to Lockett. It was an incredible catch. Shotgun snap. First play. Russell's going to throw. Looks going to throw it up deep. Got a man out there. Lockett reaches up with one hand and makes an unbelievable catch just outside the Arizona 35-yard line. One play, one highlight film. Tyler Lockett with a huge catch. One hand and what a reception. You know, it's funny, Brandon. The last two shows going into them, I had a thought that I wanted to talk about, and I'd even written it down, but Mm -hmm. then forgot to throughout the last two shows. And it was with all of the DK Metcalf uh, hype and the media getting so excited about him and and all that. I wanted to bring up, I was like, how do you think Tyler's feeling right now? (laughs) Knowing that he's the actual man, he's the number one. Oh, yeah. And nobody's talking about it. You know, DK's putting up bigger numbers and things like that for a couple games. I was like, I wonder how he's feeling. I wanted to ask you that question going into this Cardinals game. And I think he was like, you know what? My time will come when they want to concentrate on DK. I'll light your ass up. And holy crap. (laughs) Tyler Lockett knocked it out of the park in that game. He lit up the Cardinals. 15 receptions, 200 yards. The best receiving day by a Seattle Seahawk. And I think you can even say that over the Steve Largent game where he had some 260, 270 yards because he was playing against, uh, you know, college scrubs uh, in the strike season where he came back ahead of everybody else and decided to put the hurt on of uh, on all the the scab players in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Show him what's up. Tyler Lockett was doing it against actual NFL talent. Absolutely. It was an amazing game. Uh, for Tyler, and it was a joy to watch. I mean, he is phenomenal. The tiptoe touchdown that they tried to take away from him, that was phenomenal. That was weird <laughs> that they tried to take that away. I don't know. One ref decided that it wasn't a touchdown. Fine. Okay, cool. We'll just challenge it instead. Who gives a crap? Like, we got it anyways. Well, thank but goodness I, Pete had a challenge still, a timeout that he could throw the challenge. Yeah, well, I mean, we all know that Pete has had a tendency to burn some of those in the past. Yeah, so that was his last timeout. Gosh, that, that is true. I didn't think about it in those terms. Yeah. Fortunately, he got the timeout back because the, it was a successful challenge. But yeah, what an amazing catch by Tyler. Let's listen to that one, too. Russell takes the shotgun snap, has some time. Blitz is coming. Russell's going to lay it up over the top. Lockett makes the catch. Did he get his feet in? Touchdown, Seahawks! His third touchdown reception of the game, if it stands. Going on the field has been changed to a touchdown. Three touchdowns on the day for Lockett and seven touchdowns now for the season. He has now surpassed DK Metcalf in both touchdowns and in yards for the season. I am quite certain that over the beginning course of this week or the beginning of this uh, week here that there has been almost zero Tyler Lockett chatter on uh, all the talking head shows. Yeah, just doing a quick search on Tyler Lockett and player of the week. Nothing. Mm. I don't see anything. I see some Devontae Adams hype. Yeah, well, uh, I guarantee you that all the talking head shows, 
talked all about DK Metcalf and his hustle play, right? Oh, yeah. And zero peeps about Tyler Lockett. He might be the greatest receiver to never be talked about <laughs> when it's all said and done, when his career's over. Yeah, to where they're looking at his numbers and they're like, what's Tyler Lockett doing here with all these great receivers? I mean, we haven't yeah. even talked about him. Over the last few weeks and everybody talking about DK and the deep threat and all that, I'm like, you realize the best dude over 20 yards in the league is Tyler, right? Yeah. He's made like, one Pro Bowl and one All Pro, but those have been for his special teams returnability. It's uh, it's interesting how much uh, everybody overlooks him, but that's fine. Do it at your own peril because uh, he'll eat you up otherwise. I mean, those are probably the th- biggest warm fuzzies to come from this game, but the rest of it, catfish the Cardinals, man. I hate that team. I know, and they're all hyped up, thinking you know that. Here, Kyler is now an MVP contention for that game. I think Kyler won Player of the Week honors for for that game. And uh, yeah, they get one win in their home stadium against the Seahawks in eight years. And all of a sudden, they're like the the talk of the town. Yeah, they eke one out that they trailed the entire game. And you gave me a hard time when we were going down the wins and losses for this year. And I said, you know what? Maybe this is the year that the Seahawks actually lose in Arizona because 2020 is just a weird year. Well, I thought the way that you phrased it back then was they would lose to the Cardinals in Arizona. The funny thing is, is the Seahawks beat the Seahawks in Arizona in 2020. (laughs) That's right. It's totally true. I mean, it's a stupid, stupid, stupid loss. A stupid loss and now going up against another stupid team with the San Francisco 49ers coming up to Seattle. One of our flockers pointed this out. Every team the Hawks have faced won their previous game. Falcons won. If you go back to 2019, they won their week 17 game. The Pats beat the Dolphins. The Cowboys had their great comeback against the Falcons before playing us. Uh, The beard took down the stash before the Hawks went into Miami. Vikings beat Houston. The Cardinals beat knocked out the Cowboys, and now the Niners, they demolished the New England Patriots last week. Every team yeah. has been 1-0 coming to face Seattle. Or not uh, 1-0. They've won the, yeah, they won the well, previous Well, they game. were 1-0 the previous week, yeah. right? <laughs> there we go. That's what happens when you win the game. Yeah, and the Niners, man, they mollywhomped the, the freaking Patriots. That was uh, disheartening. I was like, really? Thanks, Bill Belichick. Yeah, <laughs> it, like, you're gonna lay an egg there. I don't know what to make of the 49ers. To be honest, I mean, at this point in the year, they are so Jekyll and Hyde. And I know most Niners fans will be like, oh, it's when we're injured and we're not injured. And it's just not true. No, Uh, they've had most of their dudes out there for these seesaw games where like one week they look like hot garbage and their secondary couldn't cover anything. And then they go up against Patriots and I don't know what happened there. I mean, really, the bit that I watched. uh, the Patriots didn't have the edge speed to keep up with, you know, those jet run sweeps. outside right, yeah. run outside left, jet sweeps. And then from there, Garoppolo hit his slants. And that looked like what happened. Yeah, he had some passes out to the flat to where you know, dudes just ran straight up the sideline and the Patriots couldn't tackle. Mm-hmm. And then they just capitalized on all of the Patriots' mistakes, you know, whether it was Cam throwing an interception and even, uh, I think. The Patriots, their only six, their six points came off of the Garoppolo turnovers, so they weren't able to do anything with the mistakes that Garoppolo made in this game. Yeah, the 49ers just they they outplayed the Patriots and made and capitalized on those mistakes by Cam. 
did COVID suck the ability to throw the ball out of Cam Newton? Like, seriously, there was a number of throws in that game that were just all over the map. It was coming out of his hand weird. And it just, it was awful. I mean, really terrible throws. Like, when you compare that to the way he was throwing the football against us just a few weeks back before he got the vid. Yeah. Like, oh, it's I nine mean, day. Nine day difference. It's nine day difference. Like, where was that camp? Yeah. Like, when, why? We, when Seattle played him. Yeah. We couldn't get that guy. Yeah. Although, you know, if you want to compare two games to, you know, equally strength teams, we saw the Seahawks uh, do pretty well against the Dolphins and the Dolphins came in and demolished the 49ers. Now, you, you will hear from Niners saying, oh, yeah, well, that's because we didn't have our uh, we had a practice squad dude played in corner and they just beat up on that guy all day. Fitzpatrick did. They beat up on all the corners. Yeah. All the safeties. And now they're without, two sa- they're, they're without their two starting safeties. In this last game, yeah, they're beat up really bad. They lost the uh, well, I think McKinnon might be back, but Mostert, their best one. Okay, that's then, the starter, yeah. And then so Mostert's out, uh, and then Wilson, who came in and was tearing it up against the Patriots, he was out. Their depth at running back is not good, but you know, the Seahawks' depth at running back going into this game, Homer being out, Chris Carson has a midfoot sprain, he might not be able to go. Carlos Hyde has been, you know, injured. What did we what did we learn from the uh, MRI on Chris Carson? Like what happened there? It was a mid foot sprain and he's quote unquote week to week. Week to week. Okay, cool. That, that's really great. Here, I'm looking up 49ers injuries like for this week because I just want to see where we're at here. Okay. So at this point, looks like Debo's out. Yeah. Tart's questionable. Jimmy Ward's questionable. Quan Alexander questionable. That's what I see for now. But yeah, they have some guys that went to injured reserve. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I I mean, I think the Debo injury, I that that and Mostert, man. I mean, those are their horses. Um, that basically leaves you a Kittle, right? Yeah. And and Ayuk. Hey, Ayuk's having a good year. Yeah, I mean, he's all right. I mean, he he's fine. Yeah, I, I I've heard some people like talk him up, and I'm not saying that he he sucks. I mean, he's He's a he's a player, sure, and 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 that's nice. But hey, man, if there was ever a week for the Seahawks to actually break tendency here and just really go after somebody, like bring the house against Garoppolo every play, he will make a mistake every third play. And if you give up a couple big plays again, oh well, da day, your defense is on the field that much less, and they can be fresh right. rather than gassed at the end of the game. Yeah, and guess who's back on the field then? Russell Wilson. Russ is back on the field. (laughs) Exactly. So at that point, I mean, I think they need to start playing that way. I I think it needs to be a, hey. uh, We need to score 40, not 35. No, no. Like, they can still score just 34, 35 points. But if you're, you know, going after it on defense on every single series and bringing the the house, right? Like, sure, you're going to give up some points, but... Also, too, you might get actually three, four stops instead of one. You know what? Looking, though, at uh, some of Garoppolo's numbers, they may go into this deciding to not blitz him. When Garoppolo's been blitzed, he's 32 of 44 attempts, uh, 500 yards, five touchdowns. His yards per attempt when blitzed. Is that this year? This year. His yards Hmm. per attempt when blitzed is 11.4 
versus no pressure is 8.7. That's where the stats just don't back up the eye test, man. <laughs> Isn't that weird? I would it not have weird. expected that at all. No. His yards per attempt when not blitzed is 6.4. His yards per attempt when blitzed is 11.4. Yeah, it, that's interesting. And he has I, twice as many attempts when not blitzed. I guess, you know, a hot slant route is average depth of target is probably around that 9, 10, 11 range, right? Yeah. Well, in that case, you know, rush three like you did in the Arizona Cardinals game, drop back Keem and have him put him on George Kittle and whoever else on Kittle, you know, whether it's Adams is back in the game or Ryan Neal, if if Adams can't go and you just double cover him with with those two dudes, rush three and make Jimmy try and beat you from the pocket, but press them and don't allow them those soft cushions. Yeah, maybe that's the way to go after it. I'm not sure. I I don't know. To me, I, I, I'd i like to see Ken Norton and company dial it up, man. Yeah. Like, I think it, it needs to happen. It doesn't sound like Dunlap will be available to play in this game because of the COVID right. yeah, uh, restrictions. Testing. It needs to, he needs another week or so, so he'll be back for Buffalo. Yeah, but, but we, we need Jamal Adams back this game. Like, I'm really hoping that that uh, is the way that goes because, to be honest, man, you lose this game against the Niners and that great start doesn't look nearly as promising with your two losses being divisional freaking losses. You know, going into the season, though, if you would have told me two division losses would happen, it would it would not surprise me. But back to back, I don't know. It just it would come at a bad time. Yeah, it would come at a terrible time. I mean, you know, it's not. It's not like we should all start you know, wringing our hands and shout the skies falling because they lost to the Cardinals, a game that they should have won. Yeah. By and three five points and in one. overtime. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not sure the Niners are any better than the Cardinals at this point. I feel like the Niners, Cardinals and Rams are all very capable teams that, you know, they could all make a run for the playoffs toward the end of the season. Yeah. I'd say the most capable out of those teams is the Rams to this point. I mean, that's how I've felt I, I kind of all season. I the Cardinals last week, but you poo-pooed that, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, we saw the Seahawks are better than the Cardinals this last week, even though the ending scoreboard doesn't reflect that. But, um, you know, I I look at this Niners team, and I just, they are so Jekyll and Hyde, it's hard to know what you're going to get. I hope they really, you know, key in on those edge runs and, you know, try to make Jimmy beat you. And if he does, then hats off. But that's not the way Shanahan wants to do it. So force him, force his hand. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb as well and say that Russ isn't going to throw three picks in this game. I think that that was a bit of an anomaly. And you heard him in his press conference. He was uh, less than pleased with himself. But Fred Warner for the 49ers, he's having a heck of a season at linebacker. Verrett's probably the corner that you worry the most about. Sure. And then on the defensive line, they're, they're still putting together pressure on the defensive line, even though you know, all their top dudes seem to be out. Yeah, they put together some pressure. I mean, it's just not it's not going to be the same without Bosa no. and Buckner being gone and all that stuff. But Well, they barely got any pressure on Jared Goff in their game against the Rams. They only had eight pressures in that game. No sacks, two QB hits. How did they win mm-hmm. that game getting zero pressure on Goff? Well, I mean, it's because Goff isn't that good anyways. <laughs> so there's that. 12 pressures, two sacks against Cam. That's not all that great either. It, they're not the same pass rush that they once were. But you're right about Warner. He's a fine player. 
Um, them missing the you he know might, amount of he dudes. might be all pro this year, the way he's playing. He could be second team all pro to Bobby. I, I <laughs> right. could see that. Yeah, yeah, it's still all pro. I saw somebody in the Ring of Honor make a mention of Bobby saying that you know his press conference. It looks like he's dying inside. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's pissed. <laughs> I think. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, give me a pissed off Bobby Wagner in this game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's get a signature Wags game, right? Where he just destroys the whole team. Yeah. That'd be great. It's time. Come on, Bobby. It is time. I I don't know. I, I'd like to say I have hope that this defense is going to turn around and things are going to be different, but I don't think it is. And I think we're looking at another, you know, hold on to your butts, 35, 38 kind of game. Yeah. So let's see. We need to look for CBD sponsors, life insurance <laughs> sponsors. Yes. Um, let's see. What else do Seahawks fans need at this point? <laughs> Maybe aromatherapy, bath, uh, uh, mm-hmm. bath salts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe uh, some gift certificates for some visits with a mental health professional. All those things. Stress ball. Yeah. If only yeah. we did ads. Oh, I can't believe we're missing the number one here. What's we need that? we need like a premium alcohol provider <laughs> to. <laughs> They actually, you know, something top shelf. See, I think we were looking for healthier alternatives here. What are you talking about? Alcohol is totally healthy for you. It kills off everything inside of you. (laughs) It it just totally disinfects. Just makes you dead inside. Yeah. Yeah, Totally healthy. Yeah. Any bugs crawling around in there? Alcohol. (laughs) Yeah. How do you think Keith Richards has lived as long as he has? See, if Amy would have been liquoring up during the game, she probably wouldn't have needed her parka. And then the, the team wouldn't have turned south after she put her parka on. You just have to warm up with that hard, hard liquor. Yeah. See, and I knew that there was going to be kind of an overarching point that came out of this last game that we needed to talk about. And it's that if you're not drinking enough, like drink more, you need to drink more during Seahawks games to get through this. So that's our PSA going into the second half of the show. Drink more, not less. Who cares? Getting into the second half of the show. I hate to pile this on. After mm. after the loss, but this was the worst possible week for the Seahawks in the NFC West. Yeah, it kind of was. Cardinals get the win. The 49ers win big. Stupid Rams beat the Bears. The Rams dominated 24 to 10. <laughs> That's the headline I saw. That, yeah. What a dominant performance by the Rams. Yeah, I didn't watch that game at all. But they dominated. I mean, they-, they dominated field position. They just, you know, the the Bears would get a stop on the Rams offense and every time. So Hecker would just pin it inside the five and the bears would, you know, be unable with their offense to get it out of their own end zone and have to dominated, dominated. So, so the Rams scored on short fields and got their three touchdowns and a field goal. Well, Hey, look, you knew these things are going to happen because I mean, this is the way this team functions, man. It's got to come down to, winning it in the fourth quarter and like the fourth quarter of the season. Right. So you got to like, you know, even things up. You can't just pull away. No, you can't just, you know, take this division and run and hide. No, no, we got to keep this real interesting all the way to the end. Um, yeah. And, let, uh, the, let the Packers back in it. Let the Bucks back in it a little bit. Yeah. Out of all those NFC teams, like which ones do you look at and go, Oh, the Bucks. That's it. Yeah. Because they have they have a defense, yeah, and they have one of the better offenses. And I'm glad that they're getting Antonio Brown, but I'm also a little bit worried that they're getting Antonio Brown. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll see how long he can hold it together. Um, you know, it's funny. We said on the last pod, I was like, no, no, thanks. And you were kind of the same mind. And now there's other people that disagreed with that. And we're really happy to, you know, maybe bring him in. But I'm just going to go on the record and say, I'm not sad. Wide receiver, not a problem. I can understand it from the perspective of I just care about my team winning. You know, I don't mm-hmm. care about personalities. If he is a diva or a drama queen or at all a problem in the locker room, then cut him. If as mm-hmm. long as his contract's structured in a way that it doesn't hurt the team, then I can understand the perspective of the fans in that case. I'm just not one of those fans. The thing is, is I don't really care as long as it helps my team win, right? And you're like, well, if he's a locker room distraction, well, then so what? That's kind of the point. Like, a malcontent in the locker room can unravel yeah. a team. But like, the Seahawks can, haven't been shy to get rid of those people. That's true. But uh, fortunately, they were you know, in the mindset that they didn't want to have to even deal with it in the first place. And you know, shied away from it. I saw one article by i think it was pro football talk that said this it, the seahawks by making it public that they were interested was them essentially jedi mind tricking the league that they were interested in so it made other people interested so they didn't have to go after him yeah yeah well you know when you have lizard people uh running the uh, american government and uh <laughs> ufos the in the sky yeah and, and beneath the denver airport and you know, um, you know, wing pig hybrids flying the skies and, you know, all those uh, crazy things that are out there in this world that, you know, those conspiracy guys. I mean, you got the Q people out there, too. I mean, I, I am sure that the Seahawks were Jedi mind tricking the rest of the league by like stating they had interest, but not really having interest. So the other teams would have interest and then maybe pick them up and then actually you know destroy their team. I mean. It's sound logic. No, I think like, I, I think we can use Occam's razor here and say Russell Wilson practiced with Antonio Brown, thought he might still be a good dude, and want him to bring him to the team. And Pete and John were like, eh, no. You know, that might have been how they were privately, but they always have that public statement of we're in everything and we're mm-hmm. always competing, which makes it an easy... Uh, if you're writing a story, you can say, oh yeah, the Seahawks have expressed interest. Because right. yeah, they're always in everything. I wonder when all these reporters and I don't get me wrong. I understand they have a difficult job, like the beat reporters, especially and yeah. things like that. Right. Like, I were they the just reporters know the team, though? I'm talking about these are reporters that are outside of the Seahawks beat. Uh, OK, great. So those folks. Right. When are they going to stop? And, I, and this is for all the teams. Right. Yeah. When are they stop going to take this? You know, taking this coach speak and being like, oh, they said they're in on everything. And then like write a, you know, two page story on the thing, you know, 500 words. Yeah. And it's like, of course, it's just mumbo jumbo. It's just people saying crap. I think it must frustrate the beat reporter guys because they see the big national guys doing these stories and all of a sudden it blows up. And all the beat guys know, well, they're just this is what they do. This is how they talk. And I wouldn't write a story. The same way the national guys would, but yeah, it has to be frustrating because it's totally bull catfish, <laughs> right? And they know it. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm saying. But yeah. yet, the the national guys end up getting all the clicks by generating these stories. I I don't get it. I don't get it. And then it totally lets you know whoever the coach and GM of those organizations are, you know, like Pete and John, totally off the hook. Like, you know, oh, no, we just put out some coach speak and, you know, some of our pre-canned lines that we always do. 
so and then just walk away <laughs> like they just throw it out there they eat it up they don't have to explain anything they don't have to you know there's no hard questions yeah that's why i respect belichick at least a little bit more because he doesn't even give you the canned crap if a reporter does ask a question that he feels is legitimately worth answering mm-hmm. he'll do it and he'll give you a great answer yeah or one that he can answer right yeah. without giving up uh, you know, state secrets, so to speak. Yeah, I I do respect Belichick a little bit in that regard. In that, yeah, he knows what he will and will not answer, and the reporters just it's just on them to figure out what it is that they can ask that will generate a decent answer. I have a serious question for anybody that is being hired as a new reporter covering the Patriots, where you would be interviewing Bill Belichick in news conferences. How do you not already know? the types of things that he will and won't answer. Yeah. Like you're going to take your crack at, well, I saw they were rushing four, you know, throughout the game. Like, how are what you going to handle what, that? What adjustment did you make to, you know, actually solve that problem or whatever it is. Right. You think he's going to give up the ghost on that? No. Ask him about Lawrence Taylor. Any former player, any historical reference. Yeah. And if you're smart, you, Take the actual relevant question that you're wanting to ask and wrap it up in some sort of historical reference, you know, like, oh, the the Ravens, man, they really come after the quarterback and have a lot of guys around the scrimmage, you know, a lot like, you know, the old 43 defense, you know, I mean, do you see any similarities between those old Bears defenses and, you know, what the Ravens do? Like, throw him a catfish bone (laughs) and he'll probably help you out a little bit. You know what, though? But I think to be a young reporter and to to be able to pull back that knowledge that is so ingrained in Belichick, that, that would be hard to do, I think. How? Just ask. That's all you have to do. Well, I, I think as the reporter, you would have to know enough about football or at least know who to talk to that would be able to help you out with the question. If your paycheck is written by somebody, you know, to, and you're being paid for the sole reason to go and interview football coaches and players, I hope to good God, you know, at least a little bit about freaking football. You would hope so. I mean, just qualifications, you know, yeah. like what'd you put on your resume? You know, Oh, I was a barista and, uh, you know, then I was, uh, worked at a strawberry farm and, uh, now here I am. I'd like to be a, a beat reporter for the new England Patriots You're hired. Yeah. Well, I have no transition to go from that into welcoming our new members of the flock. (laughs) Well, I do because they all clearly know a lot more about football than some of these half-assed reporters. Speaking of people who know more about football than some of these half-assed reporters, how about we welcome some new members of the flock? There we go. See, money. (laughs) Nailed it. Terrence Robinson comes in at 1212, says, thank you for doing your thing. Y'all are a very groovy bunch. Go Hawks. Hey, go Hawks, man. I, uh, I've i never been called uh, groovy, um, mainly because I'm white and I have zero rhythm. Um, so I actually appreciate that a ton, Terrence. Thank you. Tucker Beck also comes in at 12-12. Tucker says, after freeloading for way too long, it seemed only appropriate to jump right up to the 12-12 level. There was a day two years ago that I realized that I needed to get in the flock. Unfortunately, I was in salary cap hell and was still <laughs> building my roster. That day, I had eaten something that didn't agree with me, and I was, quote-unquote, sitting out most of the evening on injured reserve. 
Now my son has been a loyal listener as he's often stuck in the truck with me and apparently he'd become a much more avid little flocker than I realized. Anyway, he had a frantic need to get into the bathroom and yelled through the door, Dad, what's going on in there? What's taking so long? Well, I've always been pretty honest and upfront with my kids, so I offered, sorry, bud, dad's having trouble with diarrhea. Without hesitation, he piped back, unlimited diarrhea. <laughs> I realized three things right yes. away. One, kids <laughs> absorb everything. Two, I was proud as hell of my kid. Three, I had no choice but to get in the flock one day. So, sorry it's taken so long, but I feel like a weight has been lifted. With that, there's only one thing left to say. Go Hawks. <laughs> go Hawks. That's hilarious, man. I love that uh, unlimited diarrhea would be the thing that uh, got somebody to be a little flocker. And <laughs> not only that, but get in the ring of honor. Go straight to 1212. Yeah. Like, not, not Catfish! around. You know, either of these guys. Thanks, I love Tucker. it. Parents and Tucker, 1212, all T's. It, it makes sense. All the alliteration. Yeah. Akio Gall in at $3 a month. Hey, man. Welcome, dude. Uh, I think I, because I mean, that's a uh, pick em league status there. And you know what I think I did, Brandon? I think I made my Thursday night pick. And then forgot to make all the other <laughs> picks. I just inverted it this week. Wow, that's bad. Yeah. You know what? Uh, do you have any sort of manual editing? Because I could be super honest about who I would have picked. I mean, you're not going to win the league, so but you could <laughs> at least uh, not have finished at the bottom. I think I would have had an abysmal week, anyways. But yeah, well, we'll get to just how bad a week that you had. We we have a couple more people to thank here. Uh, starting with Dupre Wilmot in with five dollars. Dupre's come in a few times with the with the one time donation. So thanks to Dupre. Yeah, man, appreciate that. And look. Um, the only way you could do better is if you just did it every month. Sure. You could do it that <laughs> way, or you could do one time uh, for the entire year at getintheflock.com. We've had a few people do that, come in for the full year. That's pledging your support for long term. Yeah. Well, the one thing I do like about the way that he's doing it, it keeps us on our toes, right? We just never know when it's coming. And I like, I, I, I do, uh, I do appreciate the randomness of that a little bit. Yeah. And a big thanks, finally, to our executive producers, Dustin Mock and Brian Shaw. Yeah, so I don't know if you knew this, Brandon, but here in Montana, they they mailed out a lot of ballots, right, mm, for uh -huh. this election thing that's coming up. Yeah. Um, How many ballots did you get? Hmm? Uh, well, I got a, a couple, you know, because I'm, I'm just a little more important than most people. Uh -huh. But uh, uh, on the one, I definitely put in uh, Dustin and Brian as my write-in candidates for president. Oh, nice. Yeah. Who's who's yeah. the vice? Well, they're co-presidents oh. is the way that I put it. Oh, that's um, fair. Yeah. So they can kind of, you know, rule uh, together. And I, I thought that'd be great. I do. I like the idea of them ruling together over us all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then instead of the United States of America, we put in for a name change to be the greater flockdom. Yeah. The United Flockers of uh, America. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, See? and then, and then, everybody would have to be state mandated. What well, we'd have to change the constitution, of course, for this, but uh, to become a, a twelve and renounce all of the other, you know, gross, ugly teams that are in the NFL. Yeah, I like, can see that going over really well. It'll be unanimous. I don't know what you're talking about. That should be easy enough. <laughs> I'm glad we got political with this uh, last show before the election. Well, I mean, it needed to be mentioned. I'm just saying that. 
I, when I've listened to all the coverage of this election and all these guys talk about all the different things, like they're missing the important issues. Nobody's like, talking about your writing candidates, Dustin and Brian. Yeah. And to me, that's the real travesty here. And then that and then just there's no legislation on the table to force everybody uh, other than Seahawks fans to renounce their fandoms. <laughs> like it's just not it hasn't been presented. I haven't seen issue. one bill in the House. I haven't seen one bill in the Senate. I have no executive orders. Yeah. What is going on here? Yeah. Where's our <laughs> lieutenant governor of Washington and getting this stuff pushed up yeah. to the highest levels of government? If these guys truly represent me, then this is a bill that they would put on the table. Yeah. Well, he's listened to the show in the past. So, yeah. Got to make sure that happens. This is how you prove the government's truly broken. Well, the thing is, is that, you know, we see so many times these bills get written and they know nobody's going to pass them, but at least they get written and they're, you know, yeah. presented and, you know, put in the hopper. And yeah, just give me the lip service. That's all I want. Right. I, I don't expect any of them to actually just do so anything because they, they never do. doing work on our behalf. Right. Or pretending to do work on our, our behalf. That's all I'm asking. For. Yeah. Like, I, well, they don't even pretend anymore. I just want the pretend back. Well, I mean, it's it is actual work to write something up. It, it's not it a is. lot of work, but I mean, it's yeah, yeah, something. Well, it, it, it sure, yep, something would be a way to put it. Well, if you want to give a little something for us, you can go to getintheflock.com, help support the show. You can also go to tinypiecesofseahawksstuff.com. That'll take you to the Patreon post where you can comment "Go Hawks" and get in for this month's tiny piece of Seahawks stuff with Russell Wilson and Doug Baldwin. Yeah, I mean. Do they have the most uh, combined? Uh, well, I can't think of the words I'm trying to come up with here. Uh, Russell Wilson, the Doug Baldwin, is that the most completions between that duo than uh, Russell with anybody else in Seahawks history, or just Russell Wilson history? Just yeah, out of all the guys that Russell Wilson has distributed the ball to, uh, has it been the most to Doug Baldwin? Probably. I would guess yes. So you might want to get in and get those little tiny pieces of I mean, absolutely, the yes. There's no other Seahawks duo. I should be more definitive about this. Right. Yeah. So if you want to have, uh, you know, a little piece of Seahawks history, there you go. Tiny pieces of Seahawks stuff or whatever it is. <laughs> tiny pieces <laughs> of Seahawks stuff dot com. Oh, there we go. See, I had it. Well, we got a trivia question coming up, but yeah, let's take a look at the Pick'em League. As Adam mm. noticed, uh, he got zero uh, in the standings this last week. Yeah, I know I got the Thursday night game uh, incorrect. You know, I don't even know if you pick the Thursday night game because it puts you in the same category with everybody who just didn't pick. Oh, well, maybe I didn't hit save. <laughs> that could be a problem, too. Yeah. But we did have someone who saved all their picks and got a lot of them correct. Deep balls, better than rainbows. 13 picks correct. The only one to get 13 right in week number seven. Wow. Uh, I like all the use of balls, but clearly missing out on moon balls. Yeah, moon balls. Well, yeah. we didn't know that phrase until until Sunday. Yeah. Is that a, a newly invented phrase by the tag team in the booth there of Alan Chris? Well, they had this moon graphic and I think that they really wanted to emphasize that. I think this is a great time to discuss how much I don't want to see their cheesy, stupid graphics and like the lengths that they try to go to to make that work. Somebody like, worked hard on making that graphic. It's a waste of my life. I don't want to see it. 
I think it's stupid. You're putting some graphic designer out of work saying that it's that you don't want to see it. You're telling me there's no more logos to be made somewhere or something? Like, they can find other work. Sure. Just not, I just don't need to be tortured with these, like... And they are. They're the, these, like, narratives that they try to push through these graphics. It's, like, so tortured, you know? Oh, Kyler Murray's the first guy in NFL history since the merger who is under six feet with uh, hands that are, uh, you know, under eight inches that has uh, ran for more than 75 yards at three yards a chunk and then also passed at 500 yards at you know, more than 6.7 yards a chunk. It's west of the Mississippi uh, in league history. Yeah. And then they have a graphic for it. Well, my favorite one was this last week. Tyler Lockett was just the third player in NFL history to have at least 15 catches of at least 200 yards and three touchdowns. Okay. So it's cherry picking a little bit. Yeah. But still, exactly. three dudes. And I, I think just, we saw the first game between two quarterbacks that threw for over 350 yards and ran for more than 50 or something. I think I saw yeah. that sat somewhere too. Yeah. That's a little more relevant to me. But yeah. most of these, man, like throw enough qualifiers on it. It's like Flathead Lake here in Montana. People are like, it's the largest natural, non man made freshwater lake. West of the Mississippi that starts with Flathead. <laughs> and they're you all proud of it. That last part. I, I don't know that uh, that last part was untrue. That's, that's true. Still nailed it. How still, about that? Eat still, it. Yeah. My, <laughs> my apologies. You still nailed it. Yeah. What do you say we hear an update from Jeremy on this trivia? <laughs> yeah, we could use that because we did get skewered uh, a little bit. I by... felt like a moron after we finished the show and I started listening back and I heard the question again and I thought, gosh, dang it. We already had the answer for one of the teams because we knew that the Chargers are one of the teams that Russell Wilson hasn't beaten ever. And so, of yep. course, he hasn't lost to him, or of course, he hasn't beaten him at CenturyLink. Yep. Well, let's see if Jeremy rubs that in our nose. <laughs> no, I bet he's cool. All right. Hello, guys. This is Jeremy from California. Um, so my question, my trivia question from last week was there are only three teams in the NFL Russ has never beaten in Seattle. And the answer to that is the Chargers, of course, who are the only team that yeah, Russ has never course. beaten anywhere. Um, <laughs> and then the other two teams I said were uh, kind of close to each other, and that would be Baltimore and somehow the Washington football team. Russ is 0-1 against all three of those teams in Seattle, which is kind of interesting. Um, so my next question is, there are three NFC teams that Russ has never beaten on the road. What are the three teams? Thanks, guys. Go Hawks. Go Hawks, Jeremy. So first, before we answer that question, I want to take a freaking victory lap because <laughs> you were trying to say like teams that were next to each other were like, Buffalo and New York just because they were in the same state. I'm like, no, they got to actually be close. And I came up with two of them. I said, Philly and you can come Baltimore. up with the boneheaded one. Yeah. Which are close. They're close. It, not as close as Baltimore and uh, the yeah, Washington. Okay. It's within two hours instead of within one hour. So yeah, they're like half again as much. <laughs> so yeah, I just want to say I got the hard ones and left the boneheaded one for you to figure out. Yeah. Well, you didn't you help me come out up at all it. in that case. Because I did all the heavy lifting already, okay? 
<laughs> but three three NFC teams that Russ has never beaten on the road. On the road. Packers are one. No, I was going to say, that was my first guess was Packers. I beat you to it. So there. Yeah, this is all yours from now on. What? <laughs> no. I need to come up with at least one more to match yours. All right. So I don't think they've ever won in New Orleans. So I'm going to say Saints. That could be one. Yeah. Because I think that was a close game that I remember last being in New Orleans. And we're rarely down there. You know what? It might be the Cowboys. Have we not won in Dallas? Because we lost in the playoffs to Dallas. Uh The only other one I could think of is maybe going to Minnesota or Detroit. No, we've won in Minnesota. Okay. And we've won in Detroit. They've won playoff games there. We didn't play against Detroit. We didn't play in Detroit in the playoffs, though. Minnesota, we did. Oh, okay. No, the Detroit playoff game was in Seattle. Was it? Oh, for some reason, I keep thinking that was in Detroit. We've played Detroit, beat them in Detroit. I can picture it in my head. Okay. So that has to be true. So, it could, it so it could be the Cowboys. Okay. It's so definitely our official not the Giants, answers. Because we own the Giants in their home stadium, CenturyLink yeah, in, East. In uh, CenturyLink East, yeah. Uh-huh. Philly, I know we've won a game in Philly. I know we've won a game in Washington. Yeah. Tampa? So it's, Tampa. it's the NFC South where I start to get yeah. like a little fuzzy. You know what? It might be Tampa instead of the Cowboys. Uh, when's the last time we've played in Tampa? It was a it was a close game. I don't want. I feel like I don't want to look it up and get the answer. Yeah, no, no. We I gotta could. wait for the big reveal next week from Jeremy. Yeah. You can't steal his thunder. Jeez. <laughs> okay, my official guess would be Packers, New Orleans, Dallas. Okay, and I'll go Packers, New Orleans, Bucks. Okay, there we go. And we we have our bases covered between those two teams. Right. See, I like this week we divided and conquered. All right. I'm looking forward to Jeremy's answer next week. All right. On to do better and better at life. All right, Brandon. Well, my do better this week is for uh, what we all could have predicted anyways, and many did uh, after the Cardinals game. The entire national media asking the question, well, is Russell Wilson now no longer the front runner for MVP? Like, you knew it was coming. Uh-huh. The second they could ignore Russell Wilson, they were going to do it in a heartbeat. And, you know, you have a lot of people out there that have asked this question like, oh, well, now is Kyler Murray in the discussion? Oh, it's got to be Aaron Rodgers is the front runner now. It's like, well, holy hell. Okay, so you had three bad throws, and, you know, and four if you count the one in the, the first game uh, for interceptions, right? And it wasn't even a bad throw. It went off Greg Olson's freaking hands. Yeah. And now he's no longer the front runner for MVP. We weren't even in that freaking game. If it were for Russell Wilson. And now all of a sudden, one loss, close loss in overtime where he throws a couple picks. And here it is. Write him off. Write him off. It's the end of Russell Wilson's MVP candidacy. Yep. So to all the national media that is just trying to make it so Russell Wilson still doesn't get an MVP vote. So they have something to talk about again next year. Do better. They're going to find a way to make somebody else unanimous. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, Russell B. outside looking in once again. Now, did you know Russell Wilson has never had an MVP vote? Did you for- know Bobby Wagner has more MVP votes than Russell Wilson? I did not know that, actually. Well, yeah, that Bobby was a new has one the one. Me. Remember that, oh. uh, that he has the one that Tony Dungy voted for him. I think it was either in the 2013 or 2014 season. Well, hey, uh, good for Wags for getting the, the recognition. And, uh, you know, I mean, do you think he hangs this, that over Russell's head? Like, 
I would every day. I would. Yeah. Hey, hey, well, you know, hey, Russ, everybody you in the be... locker room, can anybody raise your hand if you've got an MVP, a league MVP vote? Oh, is it just I... me? Russ, you're standing next to me. You don't have one? Huh? That's crazy. I, I could see them like, you know, Russ, like trying to take charge of a huddle or do something like that. I'd be like, well, you know, I mean, you could listen to Russ. I mean, or you could listen to the one person on this team with an MVP vote. <laughs> and uh, this is what I think we should do. I would I would definitely I'd throw that around all day. Bobby's probably not that kind of guy, though. He's probably not that kind of guy, but uh, I, I don't know how he would resist. I want him to be. That'd be tough. My do better this week is for Doug Farrar of the Seahawks Wire. His article titled, How the Carlos Dunlap Trade Could Save the Seahawks Season. Now, <laughs> I didn't know that the Seahawks were in danger of uh, this season really needing a, a savior. But there's a couple of problems that I have, not just with the headline, but with some of the content of the article. For one, Carlos Dunlap is not going to be the guy who you look back and say this was the the moment that the Seahawks season was saved. Well, uh, I mean, maybe. <laughs> I, think, I think Jamal Adams coming back from injury would probably be a, a more impactful move. But uh, maybe, I guess if they just go undefeated from here on out and win the mm-hmm. Super Bowl, then maybe you, you hinge everything on the, com- on the Carlos Dunlap trade. But uh, somehow, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. But he also characterizes it in a way that, that's really interesting. It says, Carol and Schneider have always been action impulse buyers. So it should come as no surprise that on Wednesday morning, they announced that they pulled the trigger on a trade for Dunlap. An impulse buy on Dunlap when you're giving up BJ Finney, who wasn't even your second string center and a seventh round pick like that's an impulse buy to where this isn't a second round pick, you know, after Malik McDowell's injury to where you're you're bringing in a dude that, you know, you, you need to fill that spot with a top player. This is bringing in a veteran for a guy who wasn't contributing to your team at all, except on field goal and uh, an extra point snaps. And a seventh round pick, which you always get in trades when it's a meaningless type trade. So for Doug Farrar, for characterizing it in this way, do better. I mean, an impulse buy is like you're walking through the store and you walk by you're and you're there to buy a coat and you walk by a rack, uh, you know, that has, I don't know, uh, a brand new uh, coffee maker on it. And you didn't have any plans to buy the coffee maker when you went in there. You didn't even didn't even know you needed a coffee maker when you when you saw it. But you saw that coffee maker. And you're like, yeah, cool, buying that coffee maker right now, even though you're you know there for a coat, right? The Seahawks have a need for pass rusher. They've been shopping for pass rushers. They have been looking for pass rushers. They went into the store looking for a pass rusher and then bought one, and it didn't so cost I, them a whole lot either. No, so it's not they like got they went in looking to buy, you know, a, a discount jacket at the Burlington Coat Factory and decided to go North Face while they were there. Right. No. Right. They got exactly what they needed for the right price. Yeah. So um, I think it's the exact opposite of an impulse buy. Exactly. Yeah. You're 100 percent right, Brandon. Well, thank you. On to better at life. All right, man. Uh, my better at life than Skip Bayless this week is for a dude named Lauren who owns some property above the cabin. Uh, because, uh, over the weekend, there is, um, record breaking cold and snow, uh, for October. Um, oh, yeah. we got a little over a foot of snow there. 
And uh, it was literally two nights in a row, negative uh, 15. Um, those two nights. Yeah. It was it was cold. But uh, I had parked our little Jeep Patriot off the side of the road a little bit. And it's kind of a sloped property. And, uh, you know, under normal conditions, it'd be just fine. But after a dump freaking buckets on our head, I go to get in the car and uh, go into town. And no matter what I did, it just started sliding down the hill, like oh, no. towards this, this big ass aspen tree. So I, I tried pulling her out of the truck. I tried come. I tried everything right, and like it, all it would do was slide closer and closer and closer to this aspen tree. And I was like, "This sucks." So I gave up for the day. I was frustrated. Next day I get up. It's a little warmer, so the snow's a little tackier. And uh, I went out there with the truck, and I come along, and I managed to like swing the car around and like start to pull it up onto the road. Um, three hours later, you know, like I, I've moved it to a total of about seven feet. I was winning, but, um, very slowly. Yeah. And along came my neighbor, Lauren, who I see about twice a year when he goes hunting on that property up there in his big ass F two fifty with uh diesel and chains and the whole nine hooked up his toe strap, popped it out of there. Patriot was free. And, uh, so for saving me about another four hours of work and showing up in my time of need, Lauren from the property above. Better at life than Skip Bayless. Well done, Lauren. And now you yeah. know where not to park your Jeep. Yeah, yeah. I, I it should have been a problem. It was really odd. No, you're that gonna, was okay. The- you're gonna. I can already tell you're gonna be in this situation again, and Lauren's not gonna be there to bail you out this time. <laughs> well, uh, maybe. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> My better at life than Skip Bayless this week. It was gonna be Jalen Ramsey. Uh, dirty Rams corner, which I, I didn't want to give him credit, but he recently announced a $1 million pledge to Purpose Preparatory Academy in Nashville, which is his hometown. Mm. And the school, it's a publicly funded kindergarten through fourth grade school. The Lindsay Theory of ESPN did this article on it, talking about how 75% of the, the students there are eligible for free and reduced price lunches. So it's not like one of those fancy prep academies. This is one where you know, kids in need can go to and, and get schooled up and, and young kids and Ramsey's all involved with the school and, and doing good things. Yeah. Well, I here's the thing. Yeah, I can promise you that Ramsey here has a friend or a family member that has kid going to school there who is failing miserably. And it's a buy off. <laughs> this isn't out of the kindness of his heart. Yeah. He's a ram. It can't be good stuff. I, I still, I told myself that it was still a worthy enough story for better at life. But then Greg Bell, he saves me this week because mm. he posts on Twitter that Russell Wilson and Sierra have announced that they are starting a new tuition free charter public high school in Des Moines, that area just south of SeaTac Airport. It's going to be a tuition-free charter public high school right in the state of Washington, right near Seattle. And so now I don't have to give my better at life to a dirty Rams corner and Jalen Ramsey. Mm-hmm. I can give it to my quarterback, Russell Carrington Wilson, better at life than Skip Bayless. With an honorable mention for Greg Bell, right? Oh, yeah, said- for, for the assist. No, cool stuff, man. Uh, it's kind of one of those things when Russ resigned a couple of years ago, we talked about, you know, why would he go somewhere else? Like, him and CR are so ingrained with the Seattle community. And um, this is just another example of it. I mean, he's going to play his whole career here. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's just the way it's going to go. Um, going to build schools, buy basketball teams, mm-hmm. all the things. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to single handedly uh, reduce the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere. Um, and, uh, you know, again, that Middle East thing, 
we just just Russ hasn't had the time yet because he doesn't even have time to sleep. But I mean, if we put him on it for a couple minutes, that that'll be solved. It's probably off-season but, goal number two on his list. Yeah, yeah, three or four. Yeah, but he'll get to it. Uh, our savior, Russell Carrington Wilson. And with that, there's only one thing left to say: Go Hawks! Go Hawks! Beat the stupid, stupid Niners! Oh, please God!